Hello and welcome to Ohio Martial Arts Mind Power. This is our second edition of our two-part interview with Sifu Robert Brown. I hope you enjoy. for taking the time to be with us today. Um, part one was very inspirational. A lot of people got it. Couldn't, could not tell you the uh, amount of feedback, good positive feedback I got from people uh, being able to benefit from, from some of the things that you talked about. We had talked a little bit on our own uh, the other day, and you had mentioned to me one of uh, our students, Mr. Mike Snavely, had asked uh, about ways to keep uh, the workouts up and keep focused on practice during this time and you had had said to me the other day you had some additional thoughts on that i was wondering if you'd be willing to start out with that question again his question was hey what do we do at home how do we stay focused on our practice and i was wondering if you'd start with that one yes sir so i talked about it before and when i hung up i did like a lot of people thought oh i didn't give them my my favorite answer. I, I, I liked what I said, but there was more. And so I, I wanted to address it real quick again. And no matter how small or simple or simplistic this particular part of the answer is, I think it's really, really important. If, if we look at motivation, motivation can come from a lot of different sources. But one of them is that we should watch TV shows and movies especially and read books and uh if if we're watching tv shows that evolve around martial arts and watching movies that are martial arts and reading martial art books i gotta tell you they spend millions of dollars uh out in hollywood trying to produce huge great wonderful martial art movies and they get me fired up and I get excited every time. I got to tell you, the uh, I'm going to date myself, but back in the uh, 90s, there was a real cheesy, just terrible martial art movie that came out called The Last Dragon. And I got I to gotta admit, I probably spent a whole summer getting up early and practicing just because of that movie. To this day, I can't watch Enter the Dragon without wanting to punch something or hit them with a sidekick or something. So at the end of the day, we need to kind of use the time to motivate ourselves by watching great martial art movies, or for that matter, reading really great martial art books and to be able to inspire ourselves. And, you know, you may watch one at night and go to bed, get up early and practice. And so directly to the question of how do I stay motivated? That's one way, but also motivation itself isn't going to be enough. Um, I, I think that motivation is great, but it has a tendency to wane. And sometimes we're just going to have to be disciplined. We're just going to have to substitute discipline for meditation, uh, for motivation. When, when we're motivated, we do it. But even when we're not motivated, we still do it. Like at the end of the day, martial artists are disciplined and focused, if nothing else. And so when you feel like working out, do it. But when you don't really feel like doing it, maybe that's the time that discipline just takes over and, and you carry on. And I think that finally on this topic that motivation is great. Discipline is great. But what I really want on my side is momentum. 
momentum doesn't care if it's good or bad it just is is a force and so you start putting enough days under your belt where you've worked out and you start getting your disciplines in order and you start doing it it's really hard oftentimes i'll make a challenge to my students that can you meditate for a year every single day and never miss can you work out every single day and never miss there's there's no excuse workouts or no excuse meditations and maybe in the first month or two it's really hard but you get somebody 9 10 months in and they haven't missed at all it's going to take an awful lot to get them to miss just because of that sheer momentum so this time we get an opportunity to start build momentum on our side so whether or not we're motivated or whether we just plain are disciplined we got to get mo- momentum on our side Yes sir. Well that now that's fantastic and I I really love that. And uh it's funny we did a with some of our senior high ranking students we did a conference call the other night and one of our guys Doug Wright uh was talking about when this whole thing started about how important it was that the time that he gets up in the morning still the time that he gets up in the morning the uh meditation time is still a meditation time so it's all about right now that really illustrates it really really well. So um the next question I have this came from one of our students uh Matt Kazar and he wants to ask a little bit about your personal uh training and, and how like as you look at your history as a martial artist what aspect of your own personal training is has changed the most or transformed the most over the years Yes sir so I have a black belt in many different styles and to be honest it it wasn't by design like uh, I started practicing at 8 years old like we talked about and I I went where my mom told me and you know as a little kid I was the only little kid that practiced and I went to a style it's a Okinawan style called Ishinru and I went there for 10 to 12 years and Ishinru is known for its punching and kicking and its punching is pretty medium to close range and its kicks are pretty fast but low line and i i basically did that art and was completely involved with it top to bottom a to z the whole time and then at some point um when i was 18 19 20 um i moved out of my parents house and moved down to Florida. In fact, it was interesting. I literally graduated on a Friday and by Monday I was in Florida practicing because uh my my teacher basically said you still need kicks and you're kicking because of your cerebral palsy and your scoliosis is going to need some real real um time and one of the best kickers in the in the country at the time was a guy by the name of Jay Lee and he happened to be out of Fort Myers, Florida who just so happened that my my uncle by marriage came up to my graduation and said you should move down to Florida and I said what part of Florida do you live in and he said Fort Myers and it was literally like 3 blocks from the Dojang so I found over the weekend you know I'd made the decision I'm moving to Florida and so I moved to Florida for uh about a year and a half or so and all I did was taekwondo I just kicked and stretched and kicked and stretched and for a year year and a half like almost every day and and 
I fell in love with the idea of kicking and getting your your body to move in that way and uh, never became amazing one of the best at it but man did I get much much better but then I got kind of homesick and um, ended up moving back and I started to practice uh, a kung fu style and practiced that for many many years and really loved the philosophy and loved the sidestepping and the pivoting and the movement and the circular aspects of the practice and then we came around the 90s and maybe late 80s uh early 90s and i started to do aikido and i practiced aikido for six or seven years and i just re- um after after the initial entry like in the beginning it was so hard because it was so new and uh i almost quit a couple of times because my neck hurt so bad and i was falling so wrong and basically at nakrisen says when new person came in they he basically just said new person new person be careful which really translated in throw them as hard as you can and so i was i was getting killed and i almost quit I'd get out of bed my neck would hurt so bad and then finally it hit me that like I got to be doing things wrong I I I got to learn better slow down a little and sensei Aldous took me under his wing and taught me how to roll better and a kemi better and you know it things got a whole lot easier and I practiced there for a number of years and then um I ended up in the about 15 years ago or so started doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu and um you know wanted to practice that and so I went and practiced with Chiang Dong and um BBJJ out in New York and practiced that for many years and then got turned on to the Machados and started practicing there and Henzos and different places and so uh, my my practice has changed and evolved over the years but kind of like you would agree over necessity they didn't really have the well-rounded programs that you did today back back then if you wanted to uh kick you went to a taekwondo school if you wanted to punch uh you went to a boxing or a muay thai or a, you know wing chun or something if you wanted to throw you went to judo if you wanted to uh wrestle you went to a wrestling room if you wanted to grapple you ended up going to a jiu-jitsu or a judo and they were so segregated that you actually had to practice all these different arts to learn all these different ranges and i'm i'm not really a fan of mixed martial arts i guess it's okay i'm not a fan of mixed up martial arts and i think the difference is why i practice doesn't change the ranges in which i practice they can change from long range close range and grappling but i always have meditation as an integral part of all the different ranges so if you if you watched one of our classes and videoed it without the sound on you would probably think best case scenario if we took our our uniforms off and you took it out of that setting you would think that a fight was breaking out you want to call the cops it was so absolutely live real and aggressive but now you put it in a a setting with a lot of etiquette and a lot of ritual and uniforms 
and self-control and some safety and you turn the volume on and you just listen to the volume there's going to be a whole different understanding it's going to be partners and working together and personal growth and spiritual development and so this idea of the program we teach now is really a communion uh a, a togetherness a communication of all of the different practices that i've done over the years and i think the idea of uh meditation and personal growth being at the foreground is the is the one thing i don't really care about the range in which you specialize in and enjoy what i care about is how do you take it into your everyday life how does it make you a better person more focused calmer more uh more introspective how does it raise your consciousness how do you use the practice that that you're doing to better your life and the people around you and you should allow your practice to evolve as you do as a person in the early days you may like one aspect of practice but as you as you change and evolve let your your practice change and evolve martial arts is from cradle to grave everybody should be able to do it no matter their age no matter their health no matter their physical limitations there's a martial art for everybody yes sir that's fantastic well you know that kind of leads me to another question i just came um anonymously but um when you're talking about the integration of your of your school you know i remember a time and you probably do as well as when we had, your teacher would say you don't even look at another style like your style is the only style that even exists that even is a martial art right i was like that's even martial arts and of course today we've we've evolved uh, both in consciousness and also our physical performance but along the way and and a big part of that really was a lot of the big sporting events like the UFC and other things and so the question is is how do you think that these sporting events have affected the practice of martial arts here in the United States or or throughout the world i think that they have uh showcased an aspect of practice one specific aspect of practice and we we have to understand that the UFC um like or don't like it is really like you say it's entertainment it's a show and i think that some of the techniques that they do are very very practical and very good and i think that it's incredibly helpful but like looking back I remember and and I'm sure you do to watch two high-ranking black belts spar you had to actually be in the class and be invited you had to be signed up in the art and you had to be high enough rank where you were invited to watch an advanced class to see some of these amazing throws and chokes and kicks and strikes and it just wasn't available and now you can barely make it through a weekend turning through your TV and watching some incredibly high level competitors fighting and and they've done a really good job of showcasing a very very high physical skill set unfortunately in martial arts um there was a time when some very very uh high ranking people were some very lazy people and they didn't work out and they didn't um they didn't 
really walk the talk and they couldn't really fight and and UFC kind of brought to the foreground this ability to fight is in very very important however um they they left some things out and one of the things is like the etiquette some of the some of the ways that these sportsmen uh of MMA treat each other and the things they say and the how they conduct their life i mean you know just last week we heard again about john jones like how many different people slam each other and yell and scream i mean could you get bigger than conor mcgregor and habib and here he is you know habib jumping over the cage because he's so absolutely enthralled with what conor's saying and so some of the ways that they're acting and i, I don't really think that it's all showboating i think that there's some really really problems with the way that these people conduct themselves and i think that martial artists should have discipline and self-control um all the time and so physically they're very good but i think that they've sort of missed the idea that martial arts is more than just physical again it's yin yang and we have to meditate we have to keep control over ourselves i mean for a long time the industry did a really good job or or really tried hard at making ourselves squeaky clean and it seems like now as long as you can fight you can get away with absolutely anything and it's completely excused and so i think there's a difference between being a great fighter and being a great martial artist if you if you can't fight you're not a martial artist but just because you can fight doesn't mean you're a martial artist yes sir Yes sir. Yes sir. I I love that answer. And in fact, I remember uh listening to a talk of yours some time ago where uh, one of the things that you 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 had mentioned was this just this idea that it's it's calling it martial arts, putting that word arts in there. You know, martial sport, but putting that word arts in I think uh is it really changes things and I think it does sometimes give people the wrong wrong impression for sure. Um I have another question. This came from Mr. David Blatman. A lot of the people here in the dojo know uh Mr. Blatman as Mr. David, uh but he's also happens to be my stepson, but he lives in Thailand. He's a professional kickboxer. Um and that's what he does. And and he in fact made a really nice uh, kickboxing class for us on the, on the beach from uh, Kolanta. A few of us were able to attend last week. But in any case, he asked a question it really relates to goal setting and how we can kind of bring martial arts into our lives and 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 make ourselves get the kind of improvements that we want and here's what he says he says uh, I, I like I like the gist of this he said um, uh let me see if I find it I sorry I just had it my my screen just blanked out on me here it is aha there it goes he says as a martial artist it can be difficult to measure progress For someone like a weightlifter or a runner, there are certain aspects of training that you can easily measure and by looking at the amount of weight that you lift or how far you run or what the time or distance is. But as a martial artist, it seems much more difficult. Uh you can measure in generalities such as um you know, can you get through an extra round of pad work while still throwing 100% 
or you notice your mind wanders less during meditation, or you can maybe tap some blue belts that you couldn't tap before in, in a BJJ class. But there, but there are few concrete ways to truly understand the progress you're making. Even in sportive martial arts, wins and losses can't really tell you how you're progressing in the art. So in a long-winded way, I'm asking in martial arts specifically, how does one measure progress and is that even helpful or practical to do so? So let me ask first, is this the David that I sparred with at your dojo so many years ago when he was a little kid? I, it might have. We have. I have two stepsons that are both martial artists, and then another son that's a martial artist as well. And now a grandson that's you know just kind of getting going. So um, I have a way of building my staff that's kind of unique. Yes, sir. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna just assume that it is the same David, and um, I would I would say that that is the answer. Like this was many many years ago. And I think that this young man I was thinking about wasn't really even a young man. He was uh, he was a old child. He was kind of like 10 or 11 or 12. And I remember practicing with him for a while. And uh, and then now, here years, it must be 25, 30 years later, and he's talking about a question about measurement and and it's a great question and and i think that uh it deserves an answer but my my best answer is if you're still practicing 25 to 30 years later and you've practiced every day and you've done your absolute best he he talked about cardio and hitting pads he talked about technique he talked about meditation and sitting and watching your your breath longer I mean, if if we're talking 25, 30 years later and these things are still being done, I don't know that there's a need to have any more progress than that. Like the the goal isn't to measure how good I'm getting. The goal is to continue to do. And he's he's constantly doing it. What difference does it make if he's better or not? Like uh, we go back to the, the first question about motivation why do we want to get better uh, because i want to be motivated so that i can keep going okay i think that's that's a, a a good point people like what they're good at and if you can show me upward mobility i'll get excited and i'll keep going but i've asked my students at times what happens if you don't get any better there's absolutely no way you can physically mentally emotionally get any better at all like you're as good as you are and it's not bad it's just you you've maxed out you've reached the ceiling do you keep practicing and you know the answer that i like is absolutely i keep practicing but you're not going to get any better at all well i keep practicing why do you keep practicing because mm, i like it because it makes me a better person, because I, I enjoy it, because this is how I want to spend my life. Like, I I love martial arts. If I'm not going to get any better, I don't care. I still love martial arts. I fall in love with the art, not just the progress that I make. And so I think that if you're, you're practicing years and years later, you've done 
there's there's nothing out there that if you dedicate time and energy to, you're not going to get better at. The years know things that the days and weeks will never know. But now, specifically, how do you measure it? Well, you sit down and you you measure, you know, flexibility. I want to get more flexible. So you measure where your flexibility is, and you set a goal, and you stretch regularly, and you get better. And you want to, you know, measure your cardio. So you you set a goal, and you get better. And you want to measure your strengthening so you set a goal and you get better and same thing in meditation you set a goal and you get better or you spar with people you know that are a little bit better than you and then one day you're landing stuff on them and you roll with people that you could never tap and one day you're tapping but at the end of the day if you on a regular basis have conditioned yourself to go back to the breath when you're frustrated when you're angry when you're excited you go back to the breath and you make that a a habit it's a response my response is i take practice into my everyday life and i always view life itself through the lens of martial arts now at some point i have to become the martial artist period and there isn't any growing and evolving and changing there's just being in the moment and living and experiencing life through that lens so you're you're the martial artist you but I, I took you back you know the the movie I talked about uh the last dragon there's not going to be a lot of people listening that have watched that but I'm sure you have sir the idea of who is master I am at the end of the day you have to become a master of your actions rather than a prisoner of your reactions and when you're happier with who you are on a regular basis then martial arts has done its job yes sir you know it's funny as you were you know talking about that movie um I was with Professor Dunn uh one time many years ago and we we're just having kind of a conversation and it got brought up you know what's your what's your favorite movie of all time and for those of you don't that don't know professor Dan yeah he's one of the toughest people you've ever been around one of the toughest people on the planet he's got such a personality and he's so wonderful and and, and enjoyable to be around and, but the point is here's this really super tough martial arts guy that when he walks in a room like everybody feels the room something changed in the room and i said what's your favorite movie and he said you know since say it's that kung fu panda i don't think they get any better than that <laughs> <laughs> but i believe that's true that's a fantastic movie it really is so yes sir so so i have another question for you this came uh from scott brock who's out in california he's actually uh, visited uh sifu scott a few times while he's been out there um uh, but he's one of my students out there and he's asking uh on a real practical uh kind of a goal setting level like how important is accountability like when you when you work with partners um and how do you what do you what's your view of accountability when it comes to life goals as well yes sir i think that one of the keys to growing and evolving and achieving our goals is truly accountability I've been involved with a lot of organizations throughout my life and it's it's really uh important to be able to uh 
set your goals and express your goals and to be held accountable. And on some level, that's exactly what we're doing in martial arts with a ranking system, right? We're saying, I, I want to go for my next rank. Okay, you have to meet this qualification and we're going to check in and you're going to do it on this time and we're going to hold you accountable. Not only that you're able to to demonstrate and execute at that level, but for yourself and for the art itself. And so I think that um, goal setting is fantastic. Accountability is absolutely a crucial part of it. And I think that you have to be very careful on who you allow sometimes to hold you accountable. Some people believe I'll just shout it from the rooftops and tell everybody. But to be honest, not everybody in your life is uh, in your corner. Not everybody kind of thinks that you can do it. And there's a lot of naysayers out there. And some people are fueled by that. You know, my mom used to say, the quickest way to get you to do anything was to tell you you couldn't and then immediately you do it. But some people get, you know, dragged down and, oh, well, you can't do it. And see, I told you so. And you've never been that kind of person. Well, I'm trying to be the kind of person that I've never been before. I mean, that's really what goal setting is. I'm trying to be the kind of person that I haven't been. And so find your really kind of trusted advisors, your personal cheerleaders, the people that are really on your side and in your corner and, you know, confess to them and express to them what you're looking to get out of this and what you're going to do and when you're going to do a buy. And I think that that accountability is a really important thing. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks for that. Really appreciate it. So the the next question comes and it's kind of making a little bit of a of a of a turning of the corner because some of these questions now are kind of moving out of the realm of, of just self-development, but also sort of that internal development. I guess those are one of the two things anyway. But um, but this question comes from Xerxes Qatar. And he is asking a question, what are some ways to manage stress in everyday life? How do you stop worrying unnecessarily? And boy, that's a great question for uh, this time in the world right now. So um, that's submitted to you. Yes, sir. Well, I think that there's a lot of ways you can move in this answer, but uh, I'm going to go back to nothing sexy or special but the idea of working out and really taxing the body regularly i'm going to go back to meditating regularly i'm going to go back to breathing and going back to the breath i'm going to go back to trying to take care of yourself and a lot of you know self-help the idea of eating right and getting enough sleep and um, maybe reading uh, some very inspirational text and some great books. I, I would believe that praying and affirmations are crucial. I mean, all this internal work and all this physical work to sort of focus on the self. And I, I think at some point we have to realize, like, we think we have all these uh plans and all this control there's a famous saying we we make plans and god laughs and i think that's exactly what's happening now during the coronavirus right is we made all these plans and god's laughing uh 
And yet I think the other part of the saying that I like is if we don't make plans, God cries. And so we have free will and we have to actually try to flex those free will muscles and, and you know, have some accountability and, and evolve and grow as people and human beings. But stress is going to happen. What we need to do is learn to manage it and learn what works for me. I, I think what works for one person may not work for everyone, but I think that there are some key points. Somebody might get a lot of benefit out of chanting and out of just spending some time in music and other people might get a great deal of uh, stress management from working out and other people really need to sit regularly and consistently and other people need to spiritually connect with God, the divine, the Atma, the Buddha nature, the true self. And I think that we, we use all of these tools to kind of uh, align ourselves. I think stress is a situation or state that we're in when we're not completely aligned with our divine nature. Mm. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, it's it's kind of anecdotal, but as you as you're answering these questions, of course, I, in my mind, I ask the question, and I'm thinking how I would answer the question, and I keep thinking, well, the first thing I would say is, well, Sifu Brown always says this or says that, but I realize now that when I'm interviewing you, I'm, I can't get away with that anymore. So it's nice to get it directly from the source. So well, I hope. All right, I hope that my answers somehow match. Uh, the belief of what my answers would be. <laughs> right. Well, I think the people of the dojo, you know, like I said, I think they've seen, heard many of your answers before, and I um, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I hope that my uh, my um, uh, continuing to try and spread some of your teaching and some of your thoughts. I hope that. I'm doing uh, your, your thoughts justice. So, and I really appreciate that very much. I'm very honored. So um, the next question I have is uh, a, a pretty good question. Uh, this is kind of looking uh, for, like thinking a little bit about what we're going on with, what's going on right now with the virus. And this comes actually from Joey Hertzellers, who's my son, and he was a former staff member as well. But one of the questions he asked is, is that when this is over, and it will be, but when it's over, how do you think that your practice might change as a consequence of these world events? Yeah, that's very interesting. I'm my own personal practice. I don't know that is going to change much. Um, I, I've fallen in love with jujitsu, and at some point, there's going to be people that I trust that I'm going to go back and practice with and rep things with. Um, I do forms and meditate and basics. And that's not going to change. I think that what's interesting, and no one knows because it keeps changing day by day and sometimes hour by hour, but um, the interesting thing is going to be, do we have the confidence to go back and to practice with another person? And if we do, is it singular or just a small little group or is there ever going to be come a time and i'm sure sure there is going to be but how long 
is it going to take before we just feel that we can walk into a class of 50 and rotate with everyone and feel comfortable and free and they do the same and how how quickly is the general population going to think oh yeah martial arts i always wanted to do that i feel safe and comfortable walking in and sweating and laying on people and getting them to be able to punch me and kick me and roll around with me and you know every now and again bleed on me and you know i'm i'm perfectly fine with the the normal martial art risks we've we've reached a point where there's a different kind of risk in physical practice with someone and and I'm wondering how long not only is it going to take to get beyond that risk but how long before the confidence of that's that's gone and it's a thing of our past that we can carry on and and that's going to be very very interesting because the some of these schools out there MMA and jiu-jitsu that are really focused only on uh partner work they're they're going to be really really challenged on how quickly can you come back versus you know some of the more singular tai chi or uh singyi or bakwa some of the other form of styles that can practice on their own like a karate practitioner can do his kata and and you can even get into a class and do you know 20 30 people and stay away from each other and when when we're released it's going to be very very interesting but like i i do all aspects of practice i can't imagine anything that would take meditation out of the equation i can't imagine anything that would take forms out of the equation kihon and basics out of the equation i can't imagine anything that would take a live energy and partner work with with partners that i i trust and respect but i've i've reached a point in my practice where selfishly but i only really practice with people that i want to practice with anyway it's to me it's very dangerous to practice with just anybody because um somebody catches me with something and hurts me somehow pops an elbow pulls a groin muscle separates a shoulder and I can't teach and hundreds of people are affected and so find is you know master days who's practicing with somebody and they they just went a little crazy and you know a little too aggressive and they didn't submit him but they popped his hip and all of a sudden he couldn't teach for a week or two and you see you know even people as high as professor Danner will only interact with certain people because if if we end up getting hurt everybody that we teach for the next several months you know goes without and so yeah. i'm very selfish anyway so personally it's not going to affect me a lot if i if i ever touch hands or grapple or uh, practice with anyone it's because i already trust them completely yes sir yes sir well and you know that's that's the other thing about it is 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 true that that in this as we go go through this i do believe we'll get back to um, a, a new and, and even a better normal i i absolutely believe that with every fiber of my being and i know that's going to happen but you know it goes back to what mr david's wonderful question because when people are focused on the external they're always looking for measurement and the problem with that is is when you're the teacher you become the me- measurement like if i can if i can tap sensei hertzellers then i've i've really got this down 
And then that creates a completely different environment and we get away from the art and it's no fun for anybody. So I really respect and appreciate that, that opinion. So my next question comes from, uh, coach Mike Widmer. He's runs our team Karoshi. Our, our, we have some MMA, MMA guys that are wonderful. They meditate every day. He's a big fan of that. And of course his question is about meditation. And, um, it says, uh, when beginning martial arts and meditation, but specifically meditation, what were your biggest hangups or pitfalls and what were the immediate benefits in your life in meditation? So I've been meditating so long that it's hard to think back on personally mine, but I have been teaching meditation so long that, that there's a very, very um, specific kind of uh, reliable process that that almost everyone goes through and I'll be happy to share that so um, the the very first thing is you, you have to buy in like I'm I'm going to try this meditation I'm really going to um, sit and and try to do it but not for a day not for a week I remember when I did start and I was I was like 16 or something and I remember the uh, the challenge you know there was a challenge I challenge you to meditate every single day without missing for 20 minutes no matter what for six months if it doesn't change your life go on your way with my blessing. And I thought, okay, that's very measurable. I could do that every single day, 20 minutes for six months. And then let's see. And so that's how I started. And and when someone starts with the attitude of, I'm going to do this for X period of time, long term, not I'm going to do it a couple days a week, not I'm going to do it, you know, every now and again, not I'm interested in it, just I'm going to commit to this. Then the next thing is, when are you going to do it? Do it at the exact same time. Do it exactly at the same time of the day and figure out how long you're going to do it for. Next is do it um, not only at the same time, but in the same place. Set aside a specific place that you're going to sit and meditate. And if you can... Um, have some things there that will create this sort of feeling of devotion, feeling of focus, this this vibration of relaxation, and and really, and and I want to draw a distinction between a guide guided meditation is the uh, a nice walk in the park by uh, a beach visually. But I'm talking about the work of watching the breath and controlling the mind. And so I break meditation down into two things, stilling the mind and opening the heart. That's what we're doing. And so when I sit every day, the same space at the same time, the very first thing that's going to happen is I want you to sit with your spine straight and spine straight does not mean that you have to be in a specific posture as long as the coccyx to the medulla is straight so you can sit and say for years i did my knees got bad but that's fine 
you can sit in a full lotus. I did that one time in my whole life and it was one ugly flower, let me tell you. It's just not good. I sit in a half lotus, that's fine. Uh, some people say you can squeak by in a uh, cross-legged position as long as your hips are higher than your knees and you have blood flow. And sometimes, often, I'll sit in a straight back chair, but you, you need your spine straight. After that, hands upturned at the juncture between the thigh and the abdomen so that the chest box is open and close your eyes put the gaze at the point between the eyebrows specifically there because the energy the chi ki and prana are going to go where the attention is they have a saying where attention goes energy flows i want the energy to flow upward so this idea of my eye mudra my eye position after i establish the correct posture and i'm stable and i'm ready i take six to 12 deep breaths to oxygenate the body i have an open window i haven't eaten i'm not hungry but i haven't eaten i'm not sleepy it's my time and i mean business now i'm going to start watching the breath and there's a very very big difference between manipulating the breath and watching the breath I, I use the terminology watching the breath because what I grew up with, but really it's feeling the breath. I'm feeling it go in, I'm feeling it go out. I'm feeling the breath and my mind is completely linked to the breath. As the breathing slows, the mind slows. As the mind slows, the breathing slows. And I start to become more calm and relaxed and peaceful. And so, the first thing that's going to happen when this process begins is going to be, am I doing this right? I'm not sure. Am I missing something? What else should I be doing? Is this it? And then back to the breath, just back to the breath. The next thing that probably will happen is you will get an itch. It's what I call the fidgeting itches. You're going to get itch on your cheek or your hip is going to hurt or your shoulder needs to be moved and, and you're going to think no you don't understand it hurts so bad or it itches so bad and your mind is going to start playing tricks on you and it's going to say if you would just scratch that itch i'll let you really settle down and so you scratch the itch and before your hand gets back to your lap you got 30 others and oh if i could just move my hip it hurts so bad and you haven't yet gone beyond the body and if you move at all and you move to stretch the hip you're starting over every single time that there's physical movement in the body you're resetting the clock you're starting over so the goal is to get beyond the fidgety itches so first thing that's going to happen is the distraction of am i doing this right am i doing this right the next is the fidgeting itches after you get beyond that and and part of that might be oh my god saliva is building up should i swallow can i swallow i shouldn't swallow i'm just breathing and you're not you're not meditating anymore you're contemplating swallowing just swallow and go on with it breathe and as your mind slows and your breath slows you start to become more relaxed now you're starting to meditate and then you'll know when you've meditated correctly when you're done meditating 
and it takes just a little bit to come back. It's almost like if coming out of a very nice deep sleep and you you kind of slowly come back to body consciousness and when you're calm and peaceful so first there's calmness then there's peacefulness and then bliss but when you when you reach a state of peacefulness and then you come back and you're done whether it's moments or whether it's an hour slowly come back and gradually come back into the body you've unplugged the senses you haven't smelled anything you haven't heard anything you haven't um felt anything you've you've went beyond the senses and so this is the process somebody asked me yesterday and I was talking with Sipu Alas I I believe in meditation I like the idea I meditate myself I'm completely bought in but I find that sometimes I resist meditating. I want to meditate and I do and I I tout the benefits but why do I resist it? And so that's a really interesting question. People resist meditating because they're attached to the senses. This particular life is all about the senses. Man, that smells good. I'm hungry. Wow, this tastes awesome. Oh, she is beautiful. Oh, it feels so good too. And we just get so attached to the senses and it's really hard to let them go. On top of that, the mind is a very very active part of us and and we really identify with thinking and creativity and problem solving and we like using the mind. And then the question is, I want to tell the mind to slow down and settle down and stop. The mind doesn't want to stop. The mind is like a a small child. It's very very uh bratty at times. It's really really aggressive and we have to slow the mind down and control the mind. And it's hard to mind starts to rationalize, why should I slow down? Why should this I could get so many other things done. I'm sitting here wasting my time. And meditation the first time i ever heard this i i knew it was true but it's challenging meditation is the highest form of activity meditation is the highest form of activity and i'm thinking you're just sitting there doing nothing and your mind starts saying all the things that you could do on your to-do list this is the highest form of activity they say in the bhagavad gita it's easier to still the wind than the restless mind. Okay, but you're the only one that can still your restless mind. You are it. There's nobody on the planet or will ever be on the planet that can actually still your mind. This is your work. This is your job. And so we start to do this and gradually we start to think, well, you know, I'm getting some success. I'm getting some success. and what are some of the benefits maybe i get calmer i'm dealing with stress a little bit better tension a little bit better i'm i'm not getting as upset or frustrated as much and then 3 4 months go by and all of a sudden it feels terrible again and people come to me and will see for this meditation stuff it used to work it did i i got some benefit but now oh my god my mind is going crazy it's worse than ever i can't believe it and and the answer is Your mind has always been that crazy just in the beginning you weren't even aware enough to know it. Mm. And so continue the process, just continue the process. And as you continue, 
the benefits, I mean, answer this. What would the benefits be if you had greater concentration? What would the benefits be if you could focus your mind more? What would the benefits be to be calmer and a better decision maker in a better, more calm, peaceful, focused place? These are these are the real benefits of meditation. And then finally, why do I resist meditating? Because of my personality, because my attachment. We are attached to our physical body. We are attached to our mind. It is my mind. It is my body. And I don't really want to relinquish control. I don't want to let go of it. The ego kicks in and it's like, this is mine. And the idea of, you know, even God. Okay, great. I want God to be a part of my world. Well, wait a minute. Do you want God to be a part of your world or do you want to be a part of God's world? Mm. Mm. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, Sifu, uh, I have one uh, final question for you. This comes from uh, one of my highest-ranking students, Mr. Mark Sears, and um, it's something I think that everybody kind of deals with. Um, he says, "Can you please speak to the difference between ego and confidence, and how do we maintain the correct balance of each?" In our daily life. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting question.、Um, ego and confidence.、Mm. So there's really、uh, there's really two forces in the universe. There's matter and spirit, and let's say that there's the Atma, the Buddha nature, the divine self, spirit, God. Self-realization, a satori samadhi. There's this this spiritual place or entity, and we're we're a part of that. When when we respond from that, Bruce Lee used to say, "When it happens." Weishiba Sensei used to say, "When spirit flows through you, when you are completely in line with the divine, there is no ego." All other times, the ego is present. So, years ago, when I was in my twenties, I asked Brother Anandamoy one time a question about、uh, striking somebody, and I said, "You know, I, I practice martial arts and I teach martial arts, and you know, karmically, do you do you get bad karma when you hit somebody?" And and he said, "Well, not enough information." Why are you hitting them? And so, you know, I could punch somebody because I'm angry, and certainly I'm getting bad karma. I can punch somebody because I'm really earnestly trying to teach them to defend themselves, and I, I get good karma. But if I'm in a state of mushin and no mind, and it happens, I don't get good karma or bad karma. It just happened. And so the idea of ego is when I'm doing it versus spirit doing it. And so the the goal would be to、uh, allow God or the divine to flow through you and from you as you practice, but also as you live. Sir,、uh, 
thank you. That's a, a great, uh, great question, and of course, and a great answer as well. So, for those of you that want to get more information on Sifu Brown and also uh, some of the, the the body of work that he's put out, he's put out a tremendous body of work, and some of those things are available if you will go to his website, which is ZenMartialArts.com. And Sifu, from the bottom of my heart, from all of us, we again want to thank you for taking this time and for your continual. Uh, uh, influence on our dojo and our lives, and not just us. Frankly, uh, you know, there's people all over the country and really other places in the world that I, are are really reuniting with the internal part of the martial arts. And maybe this thing that we're going through right now is kind of part of that because there's been a great asking for something, and I believe the universe always responds to that asking. One of my students asked me the other day is. What do you think that Sifu Brown's main contribution to the world of martial arts is? And there were so many things. There's all this, that, and, the other. and then it occurred to me, and I, it was one of those moments. And I said, "What Sifu Brown has done is he has reunited the original intent of all of the masters, which was to never divorce meditation." From martial arts practice, he's reunited something that should have never been divorced in the first place. And people all around the world are being influenced and helped because of you. And believe me, I'm definitely on that list. So thank you again, sir. And I really appreciate you and respect you and really appreciate you. You're welcome, sir. It's such a great honor to be able to talk with you and to be able to do podcasts and share our work and. To to be fair, I, I would echo that exact sentiment. Like the idea of where martial arts going and how we're going to end up better because of this. I think that just the fact that martial artists are talking about what else is there besides the cage, and and I'm I'm not opposed to the cage. I'm just opposed to everybody thinking that's it. There's so much more, and maybe this starts to equal out the balance and brings martial arts back to. Uh, it's true totality. Thank you for listening to today's edition of Mind Power. There's so much happening right now at Ohio Martial Arts. For all the information on everything that's going on during our spring break. Go to ohiomartialarts.com/spring-break. Once again, ohiomartialarts.com/spring-break. Can't wait to see you online, and can't wait even more to see you in person.